jumping in again. Jumping right in. All right. So, a bit of talk here. Got our friends here. Justin's here. Ella's here. Got a little bit of uh, whiskey. A little Tennessee whiskey. Some George Dickel, aged eight years. You ever had this, Justin? I don't believe I have. Oh, the first time for this. So. so, Brian and I had a really bad experience with George Dickel in college. Um, hold on. I want to hear that. I want to get that. So, George Dickel's a Tennessee whiskey, meaning that it is one of ten makers that make it in Tennessee. And out of those ten, nine of them use what's called the Lincoln County process. Yeah. So the Lincoln County process was from Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels started it, and they invented this process. They were in Lincoln County at the time. Now the only manufacturer that's in Lincoln County is Pritchard's. And they're the only one that doesn't use the Lincoln County process for their Tennessee whiskey. It's <laughs> one of those uh, ironic, strange things. Yeah. Give it a try, man. Let me know. Oh, that's good. That's fantastic. So the first time we had Dickel, we were in college. And the extent of our whiskey and bourbon knowledge was essentially Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah. And so... Maybe SoCo. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Beam is that, I don't know, I guess, what, this is a sour mash, but, like, Jim Beam's just got that real, I don't know, yeah. that just Jim Beam flavor. So we had this, and we were just like, oh, what is wrong with this? How do people drink this? And we went to the movies, and I cannot remember the movie, or the actress. I remember she was blonde. It wasn't Renee Zellweger. But she pulls out this thing of, like, Dick, and we're like, why would you feature that in a movie? Like, we were, like, cringing in our seats. We've had a lot more whiskey and bourbon since then, so yeah, a little more seasoned. Definite acquired taste. I think I'm allergic to Soka. Every time I drink it, I break out in handcuffs. Well, that just makes you yeah, that's, that's been known to happen. I think that's a common side effect of it. So. The only way I've ever had Soko that has been palatable was mixed with Mountain Dew, which makes no sense because they're both so sickeningly sweet, but something about like the double sweet makes a... Wasn't, wasn't Mountain Dew initially made to mix with Moonshine? <laughs> well, well, that would make a fit. lot of sense. Yeah. So, but that Lincoln County process, they have to filter it through uh, maple ash before they can barrel it just like bourbon. So it meets all the standards of bourbon and has an extra step. Really? Yeah. And it's I, not considered a bourbon? No. It's a Tennessee whiskey. They consider it their own thing. Legally, yeah. it's their own thing. It, it is a bourbon by the rights. But yeah. since it's its own process, they're yeah. like, fuck you, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Well, I'm sure there's probably like a, a little bit of a feud. You can't not drink bourbon. I've been to more bourbon tastings than I can remember. <laughs> Sounds like a good time, man. I do enjoy bourbon. Yeah. All right, Justin, you want to tell them a little about yourself? We haven't really done that yet. Uh, kind of short and funny looking. <laughs> I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you're, you're selling it, man. Keep going. <laughs> so what's your uh, what's your zodiac sign? Uh, Sagittarius mm -hmm. slash Scorpio. Which means I'm fucked. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a border. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cusp baby, as I'm told. Uh-huh. Uh, really not a lot to tell. I'm a compulsive researcher with a twisted sense of humor. That would be a good way, <laughs> if I were to describe you. I think yeah. that would be one of the ways I'd do it. Yeah. Uh, I've known you since, God, when we were <laughs> or high school. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around in there. So that's yeah. been 20-plus years. We're getting old. Yeah. 
That's true. how it works. Yeah. Both of us grew up in the same tiny little town in North Vernon. I think we were, what, 200 people in our high school, something like that? Yeah. 250. Yeah, somewhere in there. I think I know all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, in your class? Because I graduated in, with 350 in my class. Yeah, class. Okay, I was class say. of 2000. It was 04. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was 2001. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up here with you. Similar backgrounds and went off to IU Bloomington, did some school there. Learned some things, slacked off a lot. Yeah. Should have learned more, but you know. Yeah. Looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. I uh, studied drinking, got a degree in psychology. <laughs> That's yeah. That's I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually started a degree in psychology and realized I was getting a degree in women and alcohol, <laughs> and I decided to switch gears and became a licensed massage therapist. Licensed massage therapist, yeah. yeah. That's that's actually a a good field. Now, does that feed into sports medicine or anything like that? It, it does. I actually worked with the uh, Louisville Ballet for a short while, several of the dancers from that, and the Louisville Bubble Derby girls. And, nice. Um, the Derby Derby girl. Thus, alcohol and women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it served me well. Yeah. I can uh, I can't recommend drugs and alcohol, but it has always served me well. <laughs> <laughs> definitely serving as well this evening something fun about roller derby um if you'd like to get into roller derby it helps if you can roller skate yeah found that out the hard way i imagine it's not a fun first day (laughs) first and last day of roller derby career yeah it's an intense sport it is it definitely is i was surprised i actually was at her practice when she debuted and then our friend broke her ankle and had to get like 16 pins i was kind of grateful that you know that didn't uh yeah pan out yeah and i was like let's let's avoid that one yeah i've had several friends that went into it i have a friend that absolutely dominates in it yeah she's a she's a beast morticia adams is her role in derby nice yeah. that's a good one yeah and it's atoms oh oh yeah clever Clever girl. Yeah. She certainly is. She's a beast. So I wrote down some stuff to talk about tonight. Sweet. What do you got? We both have a pretty interesting near-death experience. Yeah. And then I've kind of touched bases with you. You've got a lot to go on on this. So I will go ahead and kick this off. I was working for the National Youth Advocate Program which meant I was treatment coordination for foster kids. So that meant I spent a lot of time in foster homes. I was a Region 15 employee. Region 15 is the bottom right side of Indiana. It's multiple counties. And on this day, I was driving a 93 Jeep Grand Cherokee. It had a winch bumper that I'd had built, a winch on the front. Uh, It was a kind of a rickety old vehicle, honestly. It had a lot of rust. I'd had to get some rust holes patched in it in the subframe. And I was driving from Madison, Indiana to Sunman, Indiana, and a guy in there read a cord, came in my lane, and then just never left my lane (laughs) until he full-on hit me head-on. And I will tell you this, your mind will do some interesting things when you have someone coming straight for you and there's no reason for it. Yeah. It, it felt like it, it took minutes for that to happen and I'm sure it was a span of seconds. Yeah. 
the people behind him saw what was happening. They actually stopped, and the guy got out. Thank God he was there. He told the cops everything that happened. Uh, the guy behind you, the not guy the behind, guy in the other car. The guy behind the court was the guy who okay. stopped. Yeah. The person behind me was a semi. I don't know why I know this, or if I just imagined that was what it was, and that turned out to be what happened, but when the guy hit me, I had swerved at the last minute. He hit me, pushed me almost off the road in his lane. Yeah, it was, he was doing every bit of 60. I honestly think he might have been accelerating. Like, he might have missed the brake. I don't know. He doesn't remember. He was an older man. It really hurt him. But I saved his life when I swerved. It actually put his passenger tire in the passenger seat. I heard from his son who contacted me that it cut his ankle off. And he had to be lifeline. But what I remember is, this guy's in my lane. You're sitting there saying, there's no way this guy's going to hit me. This can't be happening. And then there's an explosion and a white light. Yeah. I wake up, and the first place my mind goes is, I'm going to get rear-ended. Why, I have no idea. But I started trying to open the door. Door wouldn't open. Everything's been shut. <coughs> I tried to jump out of the window, and I couldn't. But my seatbelt wasn't on. And I was freaking out, looking around. And I realized that the shoulder belt was broke off, but the lap belt was still on. So I pushed the button on the lap belt. I jumped out of the window, landed on the ground. The guy that had witnessed the wreck had walked up by then and looked at me like I, a zombie had jumped out of the vehicle and asked if I was okay. And I remember saying no. I walked straight over to the other vehicle. And I don't want to say that I was being hostile. I think when you're in that state, you really don't know what you're doing, I'm surprised it was as functional as I was, and I was like, I'm gonna kill this guy. Yeah. And I look in his car, and I say, why is this car full of cotton candy? Yeah. There's pink and yellow, and then by then everything had sunk in. I went and sat on the curb, uh, the median, on the side of the road, and I genuinely thought I was dying, because I couldn't breathe. I could not take a breath in. I felt flattened. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen the seatbelt burns from a wreck like that, it's it was dark black bruising all the way across my midsection. It warped my fat <laughs> in a spot where I hit so hard. But a lady came over to me and she just kind of sat down and was like, do you need me to call anybody? Are you okay? And like, just kind of touched my back. And I'll never forget that because I don't know who that lady was. Yeah. I don't know who the guy that came out and told the cops that he was the one that hit me. It was all his fault and yeah. talked to me was. I remember the cops walked up and they found a phone in the road way down by the other cars that were stopped, and it was my work phone. So I was calling Ella, and I kept thinking, I'm gonna die, something's broke inside, and there's no way I'm gonna make this, I need to talk to her. Well, she was in the court hearing, and they wouldn't let in her a have hearing, her in a, in a county I don't even cover. Yes. <laughs> was I in Orange County? I was somewhere I don't even cover. And the bailiff walks up, and because normally with you know working for the state, they'll allow you to have your phone as a worker. You just silence it. And he was just like, "I need all cell phones like turned off." He was like, "If I hear it, you will be spending the night in jail." Like just a jerk of a guy. And uh, so I got told because Brian puts a Facebook post up. It's an emergency. I need to get hold of Ella. Yeah. My I don't friend doing. sees it, gets a hold of our supervisor, who then gets a hold of the county attorney and says, I hope your email's on. Can you have Ella contact me? It's an emergency. So my supervisor tells me what's happened. Wow. Yeah. 
So I don't remember any of that. I also wrote some emails to my boss and some other things in the meantime. Which should show your work ethic. You're near death and like, I better follow up on that email. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know what was going through my mind entirely. But the paramedics apparently didn't take me too seriously. They thought I was okay. I remember telling them not to cut my pants off. I was like, I could take them off. And I don't know that I could because I couldn't bend. Yeah. But they gave me oxygen and by then I'd kind of calmed down and I started kind of going in and out of consciousness and it's really weird because when you go through this there's these certain spots that you think you remember so perfectly yeah. but I have no idea if that's actually what happened or not I just know they took me to Jennings County Hospital because for his request in my stupor <laughs> I had told them that Ella was in Jennings County at court no in Jennings County applying for a supervisor that position. Was it, applying for a supervisor position. <laughs> Let's, let us correct. note that my interview for a supervisor position, which was being held in Indianapolis, was like the following week. And Jennings <laughs> County played no part in this other than that's where we live. And I don't know why, as a paramedic, you would take somebody seriously that asked to go to Jennings County Hospital from over an hour away. Yeah. They, I don't care if you're 15 minutes away. They shouldn't take that request. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to me, that shows there was some head trauma. <laughs> there, was, there was definite head trauma. It was, it was very rough. Uh, so they got me to the hospital, and I remember waiting for Ella, and I fell asleep. You know, you're not really supposed to do that, but I was in the hospital. They were watching me. And I woke up, woke up when she got there, talked to her for a minute, and then... I remember they were just like, like well, what do you expect us to do with him? Basically, he's fine. So they gave me Toradol, which is a big anti-inflammatory. Apparently, football players use that a lot, even in the NFL. Yeah. And they rolled me back to do x-rays, and I was in and out on this. So this is where things really freak me out. I wake up, and I look over, and there's this girl that looks like she's maybe 18 years old. She looks like a student, yeah. a nursing student, or some kind of student. And she's got about a 20 mil syringe that's half full of air and then half full of a liquid and she starts pushing that into my IV and I immediately am like I don't think you're supposed to do that and that's about all I could get out well the older lady who I found out later these are probably radiologists they probably aren't even nurses yeah she walked over grabbed it all opened my IV until blood sprayed out yeah and then put the, <laughs> put the air put the contrast in so once I kind of, you know, a day or two later when I came to, I was like, holy crap, I could have died in that hospital. And they'd have been like, well, it was the, the wreck that did it. Yeah. So, Ella had to go buy me pants. Uh, I'll never forget, Chris Pettit was like maybe two, three hundred yards away from where I wrecked and had no idea. Really? But when he heard about it all, he showed up with Ray at the hospital. Really? And we went and got Wendy's of all places after that. So, after that, you know, there's a few days where things start sinking in. It all became kind of a solidified memory after a while. So that was that was mine, man. It uh, well, had to do on. a lot of rehab. A couple things. Uh, what was up with the cotton candy comment? Why did you see pink and yellow? Like, oh, the yes. So I'm not. I was not crazy. I was not losing my mind. He had side curtain airbags in that Accord, and those were pink and yellow. Yeah. Those were still inflated when I came around. And I actually did see people pushing them out of the way, and they were cutting his car open to get him out of it when I left. So he survived? He survived. He survived. He was 80-something years old, uh, not impaired or anything, but he just licensed the car. That's why I kind of thought maybe he slipped off the brake or something. Yeah. 
but I, his son contacted me, which was kind of interesting because you know you don't usually yeah. get any kind of feedback on something like this. It's just done and over, and everyone goes their way. Yeah. He talked to me a little about it, told me what was going on. So, and something kind of funny of note too: emails that you didn't remember sending were sent before the wreck too. So the wreck, it it kind of cleared your memory for. I want to say almost that entire work day. Yeah. Looking back. So, because it later came back, not to bite you, but being like, what do you mean this and this and this? And they're like, you sent this email. And then it was like, I did, but that was where I left. And like, you didn't follow up on anything because you forgot you sent that email. Yeah. Before the wreck ever even happened. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was part of the emails you don't remember sending, which is crazy. Yeah. That was, uh, it was a pretty wild time. It's been, uh, it's been two to th- or three years ago. I believe it'll be three years in June. Yeah, no, two? Well, we had the COVID thing, so it tore my labrum off in my shoulder. Because your labrum's the top of the socket that holds yeah. the ball of your arm in there. Yeah. And so I'm going to PT, and I'm like, hey, this is clicking. Yeah. <laughs> and then my knees are hurt, yeah. my other shoulders hurt, and... The, the physical therapist, the young girl that was a physical therapist, she was like, that's a busted AC joint. That's yeah. what she was convinced of, but it was not. It was the whole labrum 15 millimeter tear. Ooh. And I did two rounds of PT with that 15 millimeter tear. That's crazy. Until they did an arthrogram and caught that, hey, this is destroyed. You've got to get it surgically fixed. Yeah. Not a surgery I would recommend, by the way. Yeah. Multi-articulation joint, lots of healing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have nine muscles that uh, connect right there. Yeah. So. All of those were in good shape. Just the labrum was blown off. Really? I, I was like, well, That's you know. Crazy. Head That's on crazy. Head on You didn't tear every one of those tendons. You would, I mean, I had to, I was in good shape. Yeah. And I really think that, I, I don't know that I'd have made it had I not been. Yeah. Yeah, being in uh, good health uh, will save your life. Yeah, I know. Pretty thick. I mean, it, it, you, I've had the, the cops told me they'd never seen a seatbelt snapped off like that. Really? Yeah, that is a bit of a weird thing. Uh, the wheel was bent like a U-shape from my hands. We went the next day um, and to get stuff out of the Jeep. And the owner of the, uh, I guess, mechanic shop slash Soros salvage yard yeah. um, walks out and is talking and kind of makes a comment like, man, I, I'd hate to see the guy that, that was in this. And Brian was like, well, that was me yesterday and he was like the guy literally did a double take and was like what and he was like you're walking today and you you just survived this yesterday and he was like yeah and the guy was like go buy a lotto ticket man (laughs) he he came out and he's like i'll carry this stuff yeah you you relax well and like no one took him seriously even his boss like they heard oh head-on collision and then like next thing you know this was on a thursday wednesday or thursday i want to say a wednesday so he was off Thursday, Friday, and the ER gave him a slip that said, you're off work until Monday. <coughs> but even on it says, on Monday, you need to have an appointment with your primary physician. So his work calls was like, don't you think you should have let us know you weren't coming in today? And he was like, I was in a head-on collision four <laughs> days ago, two work days ago. Like, yeah. why would you think I'd be? And they're like, well, you're, there's just a lack of communication. He was like, I'm sleeping. I was just in a head-on collision. It sitting up was difficult. It yeah. was it was not fun. I nearly died. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that, they, they could not get that. I it was just I think because strange. he essentially walked away, it was, well, you should be fine. Even yeah. the, the nurse practitioner the next day literally was like, what do you want me to do? 
And Brian was like, whatever fucking doctors do the day after you're going to head on collision, and, or the day you're, yeah, the day after you're going to head on collision. That's so crazy. And then he got into the regular doctor on Monday, and she was like, so he saw the ER on Wednesday, the nurse practitioner on Thursday, because it was basically like, I want to get into a doctor as soon as possible, because that's what the ER said. And the regular or the intermediate doctor that wasn't ours, the nurse practitioner that was just in the practice, put him off until Monday until he could get an appointment with our regular nurse practitioner. And she flat was like, oh, you're off for at least a week. She was like, let me know if you want more. Like, you need yeah. to relax and rest and yeah, get better. And But it was like literally the intermediate nurse practitioner was like, what do you want me to do? Like, they gave you Toradol. She essentially treated him like he was drug seeking. And he was like, I'm addicted to painkillers. I don't want them. Like... I want to make sure I'm, I'm not, not dying. To not addicted, allergic. Uh, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. want to. Be I sure. said they thought you were seeking pain pills, yeah, which means yeah. they thought you were addicted. You were saying I'm allergic. I don't even want them. Like, yeah, I'm a ginger, so I have the M1CR, yeah. M1CR gene mutation, whatever yeah. it is. That also affects your opiate receptors. So, yeah. violent sickness. Yeah. Right off the bat, it's, it's not fun. It doesn't sound. They don't listen when I do surgery, and they always wake me up from anesthesia vomiting. So that's just not enjoyable. It's yeah. really a bad day. I have a. I was engaged for several years to a girl that uh, her grandmother died from anesthesia. Her great aunt and her aunt had all died from anesthesia, so they would not give her mother or her anesthesia. Yeah. So she had to have four surgeries in her life, uh, completely conscious. <laughs> I mean, just she had all locals, yeah. but uh, but yeah, she was not out. She had a surgery on her eyeball, completely conscious. She had surgery on her leg, completely conscious. Jesus, pretty intense stuff. But she was kind of a badass, so she yeah. handled it well. But I'm sure, she's grateful for that. Yeah. So, Justin, your story happened well before mine. This mine was two years ago. Yours was what? Almost twenty, right? Uh, close to it. Um, yeah. I was twenty-one. Uh, I was 21, working as a sous chef in a little restaurant in Louisville, and uh, our brother was the head chef. We were, uh, I was more like a prep cook, but um, I just started working there, it's called Ditto's, and uh, a couple that worked up front decided they wanted to go sing karaoke across the street at a place called Akiko's, and uh, so we decided to go with them, and uh, we just closed the kitchen down, we go over there, and... Uh, we all have a couple drinks. Me and Nash get up there, and somehow, for some reason, Nash had sweatbands with him. I don't know why. So we wore sweatbands and sang, let's get physical. <laughs> that was our grand finale, because Nash decided he was ready to go home. It's about 1 in the morning. So we just, we're just walking right back across Bardstown Road, back to the truck where the car pulls. And uh, he was about four feet in front of me to my right, and he said my name. And I looked at him, and apparently that was the wrong direction to work. Look, because I was hit and flung 22 feet at that moment. Um, I didn't know I had been hit. I was mm-hmm. flung over the vehicle, uh, landed on my head. Nash always claimed that it was just like out of a movie. He said he came running over to me, and I have a halo of blood forming around my head um, from where I've landed on my head. And I'm going, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. Oh he said he even looked up at the sky and went, no! <laughs> He said it was just like a movie. But there was like, I don't know, 60 or 70 witnesses that we found. It was Saturday night on Bardstown Road. I mean, it's the bar district. There's a bar every block. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing I remember is I could feel that my eyes were open. 
I could feel that I was moving. I didn't know I had been hit. Everyone was talking about me, but no one was talking to me. And like I said, I could feel my eyes were open, but I couldn't see anything. It was total blackness. And uh, I remember thinking, my first thought was, I'm dead. This is death. I'm not here. I'm dead. And I started shouting. And I doubt that I was actually shouting, but I felt like I was shouting. Um, someone hold my fucking hand. I'm dead. I'm dead. Someone hold my fucking hand. And some woman did. I could tell she was female by her voice and by the feel of her hand. And she said, now, honey, you're going to feel real sick here in a second. And I was like, no, I'm fine. You saved my... I'm all over. <laughs> I didn't even get a full sentence out, and I peeped all over this pure woman. She was my only uh, sense of direction. Uh-huh. And uh, I-, I know I peeped all over because she tightened her grip and goes, oh. <laughs> That's when I realized I was probably on a crash cart because uh, she kept on calling out things like my blood pressure and stuff. Yeah. And I started putting together that I was in the hospital. I kept on asking what happened, what happened, and no one would give me an answer. They just kept on telling me that I drank too much, that I drank too much. I had had one drink, and uh, one drink in about four hours of karaoke. And uh, what had happened was one of the witnesses had put a a jacket on me because I kept on saying I was so cold. Apparently, he had an open flask of bourbon in that jacket, so I smelled like a fucking distillery. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so they were convinced until they did my BAC that I was just shammered. And uh, yeah, when my vision finally came back, uh, I was in a metal tube. So I was a, I was immediately convinced I'd been abducted by aliens. <laughs> Start thrashing about, and they're like, "Hold still, sir!" And there's this omnipotent voice yeah. from all Hold around Hold still, me. sir! Yeah, I'm like, "What is happening?" They're like, uh, "You have a brain tumor." I'm like, "Okay, so that's what caused tonight." Like, I'm thinking I just blacked out, had a seizure. I don't know. And uh, eventually, uh, yeah, the brain tumor thing was kind of odd. Um, Finally, as I started to get my awareness about me, I was in the hospital for about 11 or 12 hours. And finally, uh, my fiance at the time could come back and see me, and so could my mom. The funny thing about that is, Nash had called them while I was in the pavement. Uh, my fiance was half a gallon of bourbon in for the night out with her girlfriends. She found me. He, this is what Nash said. He said, Justin just got hit by a car. He's probably dead. He's at least not ever going to walk again and get to the hospital. Click. Didn't tell him what hospital. <laughs> Didn't tell him anything other than that. And then he called my mom, who lives an hour and a half away, and has never driven in Louisville. Has <laughs> no idea about driving in Louisville. Doesn't know any of the hospitals in Louisville. And said the exact same thing. And both of those women found me before wow. I was fully conscious. Oh, wow. Uh, when I came fully to and realized what had happened, both my mom and Cindy were there. Um, but, yeah, so... My mom was like, well, you're going to come back home and stay for at least a week to recover. We don't even know what all's wrong with you. Uh, You have a severe concussion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had, I think, 46, 47 stitches in my head. Um, I had longer hair at the time, and they had shaved half my head, which I didn't realize, and it stitched me up. And they hadn't wiped the blood off my face. Right. So I've got black, like just black blood all over my face. My shirt's cut open. My pants are cut open. And I'm stitched from front of my scalp to the back. And uh, I was like, I've got to stop and work. I was working at a gas station clerk. And I was supposed to work a double that day. 
And I was like, I gotta tell him I'm not gonna go work this double. <laughs> Mom's like, I think it's cool. <laughs> I was like, no. I was very adamant. I was like, I gotta tell him. Like, I'm a better worker than this. Like, so I go in, <laughs> and uh, Hillary, who was my, she was the assistant manager, but she's we were friends. Uh, she sees me and just starts bawling, and runs over and starts kissing me on the head. <laughs> she's like, Are you okay? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I have to answer that right now. <laughs> she's like, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? I was like, no. And I, she dragged me into the bathroom and put me in front of the mirror. And it was like the reality of the moment just come crashing down. Yeah. Like, it was an odd psychological moment. I feel like I was waking up from a dream almost. Yeah. Um, I, I remember feeling in that second the sensation of flying through the air. Like, I can remember being hit. It was very odd. It was like the levity of the moment. Like, and I was... I, tears were just like shrieking through the blood on my face i wasn't like sobbing it was just like i was overwhelmed I, yeah. my brain just couldn't comprehend what was happening it was a pretty odd experience and then so they had done three cat scans and were convinced i had a uh, had a brain tumor and they had told me to to schedule an mri well when i called two days later to schedule the mri they they were like oh you don't have insurance I'm like, yeah, I don't have insurance. What of it? They're like, well, you'll need to schedule that through your primary care physician. I was like, I don't have one. And they're like, well, we we don't have any appointments for this MRI. They couldn't deny me service because they're, right. the, they're a school-based uh, hospital. They get federal funding. They can't deny service. Well, they're trying to tell me they didn't have any appointments for an MRI. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound right. I was like, let me talk to someone else. And they gave me the runaround for eight hours, and I was pissed. I was all fucked up on Laura Dad. And I had a headache. And so I called Cindy, who was a lawyer. And uh, I was like, they won't schedule my MRI. She's like, I'll come over tonight. They will schedule your MRI. The next morning, she makes one phone call. Five minutes later, I have an MRI scheduled. And they told me that I had shattered my wrist. They had splinted, splinted my wrist. But they didn't mention scheduling a surgery. They didn't mention it again. So she calls him, gets my MRI scheduled. Well, we go in for the MRI. They do their MRI. And she's like, he's got a shattered wrist as well. You guys were supposed to schedule a surgery. And they're like, oh, we don't have anyone that can do that surgery. She's like, horse shit. <laughs> you do. And you're going to do it. You can't deny him service. So that day I get scheduling to talk to the uh, anesthesiologist. And uh, so as we're checking out, I get the MRI done. They actually did two to make sure. And uh, they're like, yeah, we'll just send it to your primary care physician. I was like, I'm a broke college kid. I don't have a primary care physician. They're like, um, well, we'll just send it to your primary care physician. They're <laughs> like, uh, you're not listening. I don't have one. And Cindy's like, I'm this fucking lawyer. You'll send it to him. They were like, that's a HIPAA violation. Now, I had just graduated from law school a month to the day uh, before getting hit. And had to take an entire three month course on HIPAA. Oh, HIPAA yeah. It was not a HIPAA violation. They're my records. So I can sign for them. Mm -hmm. Well, they still, even with her saying I'm his lawyer, wouldn't give them to me. Uh, so they kept on saying, we'll send them to your primary care physician. So they scheduled this surgery. I'm working for three months, 90 days with a splinted wrist. It turned out I had shattered uh, four of my carpals. Oh, man. Yeah, and all I had was a splint on it. I worked for 90 days like that. And uh, finally, I get the surgery scheduled, and I go to the uh, anesthesiologist, and he's having me go, in a, go over my uh, health history. And I have a laundry list. I was born with a birth defect. I had three surgeries in the first three days I was alive, so I'm going through everything. 
And then I was like, oh, fucking yeah, I've got this brain tumor no one wants to tell me about. Because I still haven't received shit from the MRIs. Right. And uh, he was like, I am not allowed to tell you that you do not have a brain tumor. I am not illegally allowed to tell you that you do not have a brain tumor. I was like, are you telling me I don't have a brain tumor? He's like, dude. I can't legally tell you that. I'm not allowed to tell you. Your primary care physician needs to tell you that. Yeah. And uh, so I started doing a little jig. I was like, I don't have a brain tumor. <laughs> but, uh, Silver lining. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't have a brain tumor. They did the surgery. They didn't put me under. Um, they gave me a local. They gave me a little curtain and gave me a lot of happy drugs. I remember it was a large, sassy black woman was my nurse. And I wanted to see inside my wrist because I felt like that was going to be my one and only chance to see inside my wrist. It's my wrist. I'd like to see it. And uh, I kept on trying to peek, and she kept on slapping my hand. And she's like, it will give you nightmares, little boy. She's like, it's giving you nightmares. And I was like, but you're so pretty. I just want to see it. It's mine. She said I was kissing her hand. But you're so pretty. I like, I just want to look. Yeah, she never would let me look. I think that was her whole job, was to keep me from looking. But yeah. But yeah. And then they send me home. Uh, a recovered drug addict with a script of 154 out of 10 <laughs> and said uh, you're going to feel tingling in your fingers. When you do, take Lortab. Then take one as needed. I don't know, 40 or 50 Lortab later, I'm so fucked up that I can't speak. But my hand still feels like it's a grenade and it's exploding. Oh my. Like the swelling against that cast is the worst pain I've ever been in. And I'm all alone in Louisville. My brother had gone to Florida with his fiance, And uh, I remember calling him. And I was like, Nash, <laughs> I'm fucked up, man. I keep puking. I was like, I made like 40 fucking lard out man. <laughs> I'm still a pain, man. <laughs> and I just couldn't oh, no. pass out because my hand felt like it was going to explode and send shrapnel everywhere. It was awful. It was awful. And he was like, dude, you need something to get the swelling down. Yeah. Lortab's not touching that swelling. Take some ibuprofen. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I take half a bottle of fucking ibuprofen and just pass out. <laughs> I was out. I slept for like 15 hours and felt like a million bucks the next day. Nice. It was, uh, that was kind of the end of it. I was in a cast for eight months. Eight months? That's a yeah. long time. Yeah, they, uh, well, they took off the cast, pulled my pins out after four months, and then they they x-rayed it and decided to recast me. Um, you're talking about some really little bones that try to do a whole lot, mm-hmm. so they're pretty hard to heal. Uh, really funny, mom took me to get the pins pulled. Well, there was two pins sticking out here, two pins sticking out here. Well, he takes forceps and just slides one out, and I could feel it pulling through, it didn't hurt. Well, the second one pulls right out, third one pulls right out, gets to the fourth one, and he yanks. And it ain't budging. So he's like, Bearing down on my arm, like pulling, twisting, and I can feel all this movement in here. Oh. And uh, he has to get the scalpel out and like cut me. Oh my like, god! And he's like yanking, and I can feel it jerking bones around and shit. And I look over, and mom's just nowhere to be found. She has passed out. Is under the table. Oh no! She was like I was fine until he started yanking. She's <laughs> like I was fine. She's <laughs> like then he starts yanking. He's all fucking gripping his teeth like. That was crazy. But yeah, yeah, this is just more proof that God is a woman and she only keeps you around for shopping plans. That's one of my movie theories. Mm -hmm. Um, So, 
a man could not think that complexly. Uh, so I was hit by a car. Uh, by all rights, should have lost my life or at least my ability to walk. Uh-huh. Uh, all I lost was the ability to use my dominant hand uh, month to the day from graduating this off school. <laughs> and then I was one-handed for nine months. <laughs> that was the work of a woman. <laughs> oh, no. she, uh, she keeps me around for schadenfreude, which is finding pleasure in one's pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, she likes to flick me occasionally and be like, ha ha. a sadist, clearly. Yes, yeah, clearly a sadist. I think there's evidence of that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, several... Uh, several things. I have the worst uh, good luck or the best bad luck. I'm not sure which. Um, but I have many examples. Uh, for example, the keys. So, um, I just bought this car. I had just bought a, a 2014 Honda Civic. Had keys just like this one. So, um, I was at a massage client. It's actually just right down the road, Rachel Miller. Um, I was at her house massaging her. I did every Sunday. And uh, she just got a puppy. Adorable little blue hound. Uh, blue tick hound, uh, and I'm playing with the puppy, loving on it, and this was our normal routine, you know, about to come over every Sunday, massage her, and several other people. Well, she she would always take a while to get ready uh, for the massage, so I'm playing with the dog, loving all over it, and uh, before I massage, she goes and takes a shower, and she says she's ready to massage, and I've already set my table up, and she goes into the massage room, gets on the table, and I always empty my pockets before I massage, so I don't want anything jingling or anything, or poking me or anything. So I empty my pockets, including my keys on a little coffee table, go into the massage room, have a great massage, come out, and the first step out of the room, I hear a crunch, like I've stepped on something plastic. I look, and there's this little bit of hard black plastic. I like, what the fuck is that? And then I see some more of it, and some more of it. And then I find a metal piece to my keys. This puppy has chewed into a billion bits. This, oh my oh God. My. But I find the metal piece, I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, that's the key. Yeah. I go to start my car, turns over, dies. I was like, okay. So I try it again. Turn it over, dies. I look it up, there's a computer chip in there <laughs> that if it's not piece. present, mm-hmm. it will not uh, stay running. So to program a new key, I, because I had just bought it, it had to go all the way to the dealership in Clarksville. So the tune of $600 later, I was on the road again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the work of a woman. No man. <laughs> a man would have said, make the puppy bite his balls. But it was a woman that said, you know what? He loves this puppy. <laughs> Let's make it chew his key into a billion bits <laughs> to the tune of $600. Digest the chip. <laughs> yeah. It was insanity. That's amazing. Yeah. God is a woman. I love her still. I call her the she-bitch. <laughs> I think we've all had a pretty uh, interesting run. I think we, we don't have a lot of complaints. I don't. Nah. So. Uh, you had mentioned earlier Jameson Whiskey. Yeah. Which is interesting. One of the guys that I, uh, I really admire <coughs> is uh, Justin Wren. Yeah. Justin Wren, professional fighter. Yeah. yeah, he did the fight for the forgotten. Yeah. Now the story about Jameson is that he uh, paid a tribe to cannibalize a young girl because he had heard they did this and he was, was fascinated. Was it the pygmies that Justin Wren's? The young girl was one of the. There's multiple tribes, tribes of pygmies, pygmies but okay. they're considered not. They don't have the same rights. They especially didn't back then. Yeah. So the girl that was eaten was a pygmy. I got you. Yes. Okay. That's crazy. So just for entertainment, like... 
sick curiosity, I guess. Was I don't he know. like an epicurean, just like to eat weird shit? He did not partake. He oh. he drew uh, scenes of it happening. Really? Yes. He just observed. Yeah, it's all out there. You can look that's, at it. If that's you're, insane. If you're morbid enough, you can look at it. I don't yeah. recommend it. I mean, oh, I don't. Yeah. I try to avoid that stuff. You know, yeah. keep a more positive mindset in my old age now that you know yeah. I nearly died. That I, I told my friend <laughs> Willie we were out just cruising around the back roads going way too fast. Yeah. Old hobby. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, I just don't have it anymore. It's like it's not like it. Uh, like, it didn't scare me so much. It almost gave me, like, an early midlife crisis. It was like, yeah. hey, this is how quick it can go, you know. Yeah. Pop. It really can. Mm-hmm. It, your entire life can change drastically in seconds. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, I think some people get sunk by that, and some people uh, rise to the occasion. Yeah. They get a little better. Yeah. So I like to think I'm the latter. I mean, I really try to, to see the benefit in these weird things. Yeah. I... I realized a long time ago that life is meaningless. You have to assign your own meaning, and uh, mm-hmm. I like to look, sit back and laugh at the absurdity of it all. Yeah, like the fact that God is a woman and she keeps him around for silence with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> complaining about that. It's just that. <laughs> so I don't have a near-death experience, but you both kind of mentioned that person that kind of grounded you when you needed it. So like the woman that came and sat by you uh-huh. and the woman that held your hand. Yeah. I've been that person and it wasn't a near death. Um, but I was driving on the highway and I was driving from North Vernon to Columbus, I believe yep. to a training. And, um, I noticed like road work equipment and there was basically a bridge. And so right where you don't want to have people kind of going into one lane and no signs, no like men working signs, no one lane ahead, no flagger. So I'm going, let's be realistic, I'm going at least 60 on the highway, you know. And I see that and I'm like, shit. So I kind of get slowed down a little bit because I, you know, trauma brain. Like I'm focused way far ahead, trying to think two steps ahead. So I see that decently far ahead and I'm kind of looking. There's no one really in the lane. So I take the lane. Someone's kind of coming rather aggressive. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm kind of committed now. Like you have to slow down. It's yeah. teamwork, you know. Yeah. So I get over and I'm like, this is not good. So, like, it made me realize, like, I need to kind of look in the rearview mirror, kind of see what's going on. And sure enough, I see a young lady that was going the same way I was. Or no, maybe it was going the other way because I was looking. And I see it and I'm like, oh, I'm, like, going too fast, going too fast. And I'm, like, trying to, like, slow down. They slam on their brakes in the other lane to let the people who are now in their lane coming head on, you know, around. Because that's that or slam into them because they can't get over. There's literally a bridge and a giant, you know, hill. I see this silver SUV just like careen off the road and just start going down and I'm like, shit. So like I pull over, I wait for the traffic to go and I like go around, put my flashers on, go down. Of course, this whole time I'm like, I should probably keep going. You know, someone, no, I literally was the only one that stopped. And I'm like, people, we're still fucking people. Like, what the hell? And I see it's a young woman that's every bit of probably fucking 19, 20 years old. (coughs) Following her eyes out on the phone. I opened the door and I was like... I, I just, it was the way, I think something she was like, are you talking to your mom? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, can I take your phone and talk to her? So I got the phone. I was like, my name's Ella. Your car's been in a wreck. I don't see any bones. I don't see any blood. I was like, the car's messed up. I was like, we're, and I explained, I was like, we're on highway seven, halfway to Columbus. And I was like on the bridge. I was like, can you get here? And she was like, yes. And I said, I will stay here until you get here. So I, I get to her and I was like, you know, I was like, you don't probably shouldn't even get out of the car. So she was like, no, I got to get out of here. We walk up to the road. 
I make sure someone calls the police because I looked at her. I was like, honey, this is not your fault. I was like, we need to get the police here. Yeah. Someone needs to take responsibility for this because, you know, your car's pretty messed up. Yeah. I don't know why, but she was on her way to a hair appointment. And I was just like, put your head on my shoulder and cry. I was like, because you're not, you know, you're not going to make your hair appointment. And yeah. she's just like, oh, I'm so looking forward to it. Like, she was in shock and stuff, but I'm just let it out. And uh, her mom gets there. And, I mean, just frazzled mom. Eyes, you know, but yeah. I just keep talking. I'm like, what's your name? You know, I get like... Just keep her talking, you know. Um, and when the mom was there, you know, she's like, thank you so much. Like, this is not always, this wasn't her fault. I'm going to go talk to the police. Um, talk to the police. They take my statement. Because, of course, handily, there's a flagger. There's a sign up. And I'm like, none of that was there. Yeah. None of, I was like, none of that was there. I was like, I almost got in a wreck. Yeah. And um, so the mom reached out on Facebook a few days later. And uh, what's really weird was I had contemplated taking my name off because of where I work. I don't want people to necessarily, like, search me out and find me even though I... Yeah. Have on like the strictest privacy settings. Like I think you have to have a friend in commun in con common with me yeah. before I'll even show up on a search. Yeah. But still, I'm like, don't want to take the chance. Um, and she was like, I'm so glad I found you. She was like, you know, you made all the difference. Like, thank you. She was like, you could have left. You could have just keep drive kept driving. You could have left. And she was like, but the fact that you stayed there with her, like, and let me get there. And I was, of course, to me, I'm just like, who wouldn't do that? But yeah. the I, 45 I, people I that drove know. by. Didn't. I, I was the first on the scene when that girl had the seizure and hit Subway the other day, or a couple months ago. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. And it was so weird. I hadn't eaten Subway in like 10 years. I just, I was looking for something to eat. Nothing sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. And I was just cruising through town. I was like, oh, Subway. That sounds good. And I pulled in. And I was sitting there. I was finishing a podcast. I was just listening to a podcast. And I had like 10 minutes left. So I was sitting in the parking lot. I see this vehicle go flying by me. I was like, they're going fast. They're in a hurry. And they just crashed right into the, the subway. Yeah. yeah, it was nuts. I jumped out. And this guy jumped out the passenger seat, blood all over his face. I was like, you're okay. And just like you, he was like, no. And he stumbles <laughs> in like the rubble and falls mm -hmm. down. I helped him up. And I was like, dude, just chill. Sit yeah. down. And he's like, we got to get her out. I was like, we'll get her out. And I called 911. And, um, they stayed on the phone with me until an officer showed up. It wasn't long. Maybe two minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I talked to the cops, and I was out. But uh, I stopped out on 50. I was going to see, I was seeing a girl out in Aurora. And I was headed out there, and uh, I was coming around this curve, like halfway between here and Versailles. And uh, this little Mazda Miata was coming the other direction, and I just happened to look up in my rear view as they passed me. And they flew off the road into the stand of trees. There's like a field with a stand of trees. They flew into a tree. It was a little Mazda Miata, and they were flying. So I pull a UE, fly back, and uh, this guy's jumping out of the car immediately. And he's like trying to run. And like he keeps on coming back to the car and taking off and coming back. And he's like, dude, we've got to go. We've got to go. And he's like, I'm going to leave you, bitch. I'm going to leave you. And I was like, dude. Do whatever you got to do. If she's hurt, she's hurt. Yeah. There ain't nothing you can do about that right now. So I go over there, and it's a little tiny girl. I never found out how old she was, but she didn't look 16 to me. Uh, she's probably like 19 or 20, but she's tiny. And she's like bawling. And she she wasn't trapped in the car, but she had bumped her head pretty good. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to get her out of the car. She's like, please, let me get out of the car. I was like, okay. Um, can you move your toes and legs mm -hmm. and everything first? She's like, yeah. So I get her out, and immediately she's dizzy, and she almost falls. So I, like, carry her over to this little hill and set her down. Her boyfriend goes running down this dirt road, and he looked older than me. And uh, she was like, I really need my purse. She was like, I really need my purse before the cops get here. Uh, and I was like, So I'm picking uh, up what you're throwing down. Like, Am I going to be accessory like, to this? The 
the dash is smashed onto your purse. Like, I don't even know if I can get it. I get her purse, and I was like, here's a better idea. And I just throw it as hard as I can. <laughs> throw it as hard as I can into the woods. She's like, thank you. <laughs> she gave me a big hug. And uh, she's like, I don't have any warrants. So she's like, I think he does. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta go. She's like, you should probably dump him. Yeah. I'm like, you can do better. Gotta go. <laughs> Good yeah. luck with your future. Yeah. Like, Check out our podcast. Come use that way. I'll probably talk about this. <laughs> Maybe they'll reach out. You never know. You never know. Yeah. It's a small world and even smaller county. I always yeah. say that. Yeah. It is a small world. I mean, I moved to Louisville at 21 and mm-hmm. with no intentions of returning. And you'd be surprised how many times I ran into Jennings County folks. Yeah. Uh, it was very odd. My wildest Jennings County encounter happened in Los Angeles, California. That it did. So my friend did surrogacy, which was awesome. And how surrogacy works is when you do your, your like pre-surrogacy, everything you go to where you're going to deliver. So... Everything that she had to do was done here where we live. Um, but then everything to do with the baby is done where the, the prospective parents live, which was L.A. Okay. So she flew out and was implanted in L.A. And then, um, then like, the actual prenatal care was done here. But, like, the implantation and, like, the, the pre-check, I'm sorry, the pre-check, and then the implantation was in L.A. And then all the subsequent care for the baby and the delivery yeah. was here. Yeah. Um, cause you have this camper on a flight, you know, ready to deliver. Yeah. So we do the first like actual like consultation in LA and then we do the first implantation. That one doesn't take, we do the second implantation. So I got three trips to LA for free. Well, nice. to me, yeah. obviously somebody paid for it, you know, yeah. yeah. um, cause I was a support person. And I want to say it was, was it the second implantation? Was it the last one? The one that might not have even happened because if the first one would have taken me, wouldn't have taken a second trip. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm me. I got to get loaded before I'm going to get on a plane because if I'm dying, I'm in a plane crash, I'm dying drunk. Um, Even though I'm pretty sure I'd get sober, you know, dying would sober me up, but I'm going to at least (laughs) give it a good faith effort. So I'm at one of the bars in the L.A. airport and um, I get to talking because, you know, I'm already well on my way and um talking to the you know fellow flyer next to me and we're talking about where we're going i was like yeah i'm headed to indianapolis he's like oh me too this and that and i was like cool you're from indiana fellow hoosier and i'm like yeah i'm from a really small town you know jenny's county north vernon and he's like are you serious he's like how old are you and i'm like at the time you know i'm thinking i'm what 32 33 and he's just like okay and then i'm like yeah this and that and he's you're married to Brian Tucker. Is that Jenna Tucker's brother? And I'm like, yes. And he was like, Jenna was like my best friend in high school. It was Jake Everidge. Wow. Who was sadly on a flight home because I believe it was his, one of his parents had passed. I believe it was his mother. So he was literally on the same flight home because he had joined the military. Because I was like, I don't remember you. I was like, but that doesn't mean anything because I really only hung out with like my two best friends and like, I just wasn't aware of a lot of stuff around me. And uh, he was like, I always used to wear an orange jumpsuit to school. And I was like, I remember the orange jumpsuit kid. I was like, I remember. He was like, yeah, I left high school. He was like, I was tired. I went and joined the military. He was like, I'm stationed out here and I'm headed home to, you know, bury my parent. And I was like, sorry that happened, but what a small fucking world. Tiny. So I met a guy from Jennings County in LAX. That's crazy. Didn't have dreams or a cardigan either. (laughs) That's corny. That's me. It is. It is. That's crazy. 
that is the turning world. Mm -hmm. Amazingly so. It's the weird things that happen that make you feel that. Because, yeah. I mean, it's real, real easy to just get overwhelmed with everything. Yeah. I talk to my dad a lot about uh, the paralysis of analysis. He is the most overthinking person I've ever met in my life, <laughs> yeah. to like a pathological degree. So he'll know he needs to get something done, yeah. but he'll research it incessantly, almost obsessive compulsively. I'm the exact same way. Mm -hmm. I, I get, I love to write, but I tend to get caught up in the research phase of things, and so I've written something completely different than what I initially started to started out writing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop me from accomplishing writing, but I feel like I could accomplish more with my writing if I could get past the, the search phase. So, the older I get, the weirder my writer, writing gets. I think that's a good sign. Yeah. That sounds like as it should. Yeah. Definitely. I kind of have a feeling if it went the other way, you'd almost be doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, I think the older you get, the less you care about an audience and mm -hmm. more just care about writing something you'd want to read. And I like really weird shit, so... There you uh, go. It's uh, definitely getting stranger as I uh, go. I think that's true for just kind of a lot. Like, I think you're living life right if the older you get, kind of the less you care. Because, yeah. you know, like, 18-year-old Ella would not ever do any of the things that I do now at almost 35. Yeah. Um, like, you catch me at Friday night at softball, like, I'll say some stuff that would make a sailor blush, that, you know, at 18, yeah. like, I wouldn't want the, not necessarily I do it for attention, but, like, I just don't care. I think it's funny. I'll say it. Yeah. And then, you know, at 18, it would never have even, like, at all dreamt of saying I something like that. I much cared what people thought of me, but with writing, you're kind of revealing a part of yourself that you don't show anyone, and uh, it... It makes you want to edit that mm -hmm. because it's such an intimate part of yourself. I'd say that's a level of intimacy yeah, for sure. It, it's uh, I don't like showing my writing to people I know. I'd much rather a stranger read my writing because I don't have to care about their opinion. Right. I don't want to have to look someone in the eye that's read my stuff and knows that's in here. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't well, want to have to deal with that person again. I yeah. feel you 100% because I did like one stand-up comedy show and someone was like, are you nervous? And I was like, yeah, this and that. And they're like, but it's people you know. And I'm like, exactly. I would much rather do yeah. this in front of a thousand strangers. people that don't know me than ten that do. Mm -hmm. I was like, because those thousands that know me don't I, know I've me. I've done an amateur night before. And see, what I do for a living is I talk for a living. So what that's devolved into is me making bad jokes for a living. Exactly. I get told all the time I need to try stand-up. And I did a long time ago and I bombed. And I don't know why. You bombed, I, huh? Oh, I bombed. Too more. serious? Too dark? Uh, no, it was just, uh, I was too nervous. Uh, I knew all the people. We've got a guy for that. His name's Jim Lang. We'll hook you up. <laughs> yeah. He's a great mentor. Really? But, uh, but yeah, it's something I've always wanted to do is stand up. But uh, that's, I literally made a girl pee herself the other day. Nice. And that's been a goal for like eight years. That's a lofty goal, sir, and you uh, finally yeah, achieved it. Yeah, I finally achieved it. And her... I, I told her my greatest fart story. Have I told you guys? I don't I've believe so, but I'm ready to pee. The greatest fart story ever told. Okay, so my brother and I, uh, when we were living in Louisville, we were struggling financially bad, so we both had two full-time jobs, essentially. We had one day off together, and that was Tuesday, so we named, we dubbed Tuesday Fat Tuesday because we would spend the entire morning get as stoned as possible, <laughs> and then go eat buffet until our bellies were out the heat. Right. Uh, so this was a pretty typical Tuesday. Mission living. Yeah. We had uh, 
take massive bong rips uh, to the dome piece and then go on the Chinese buffet. We each eat like four plates. We're bloated out to here. And we would walk it off around Borders or Barnes and Noble. Uh, that was walking it off. He'd go look at music. I'd go look at the books. Well, we've gone to do this, and I'm all bloated. I'm like wobbling. Right? <laughs> We're in uh, Barnes and Noble, I believe, and they have those little tiny aisles. And I'm into this book. I'm looking at it. I'm really in, absorbed. And I look up, and I realize I'm blocked in both ends. I got an old couple over here blocking me, and I got this uh, like middle-aged woman talking to what looks like her college-age son over here. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to ask the old people to move. So I walk up to the middle-aged woman, and I say, excuse me. She looks at me like I'm covered in fucking flies and moves about that much. So I'm like, i got to suck it in, and something of me is going to touch her, right? So what do I give her, the ass or the crotch? Well, etiquette says the ass, right? I suck it in, and we get ass to ass. And as soon as we're lined up, I go, I flap her cheeks. And I went, you're nasty, and took off running. I totally blamed <laughs> I took off running. And I run over to Nash. I was like, we've got to go. I just shit on some, some lady. And he was like, that was you? I heard that all the way over here. <laughs> and I like to think, I gave her a story to tell for the rest of her life. She, I'm sure she tells that story. Like, this guy just shit on me. And he flapped my cheeks. And then her son's like... Oh no, mom, you did that shit. Because <laughs> I totally blamed her. <laughs> Isn't that the best that is part the, of the That is the best. That's <laughs> terrible. That's a bit. That's great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I totally flapped her cheeks. It was fantastic. Now, if she hears this podcast, it, it was really that will be one of my crowning achievements in life. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, Definitely but that's what made the girl peer, so. I love it. Um. <laughs> It's the little things in life. So, like, Rob Job and I play softball together. And um, from basically day one, we give each other some belly before we ever take the field. Yeah. Nice belly bump, you know. And uh, this one day, the stars aligned. Um, Mercury was in retrograde. I mean, like, everything just lined up for this to happen. We touch tummies, our belly buttons align in such a way that it creates a suction and this perfect <laughs> fart sound happens. And I'm talking, I think that was every bit of probably eight years ago yeah. and every softball game. And I'm talking, there are some times when I'm on Thursday and Friday night league with him. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's twice a week yeah. for summer and fall league. Yeah. For eight years, we've tried to get the yeah. that, oh, that fart sound again. again. And That's we... A once in a life. Uh, once in a lifetime. We still talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it is still, like, very That's prevalent. Crowning moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good times. Yeah. A sound was made. Is everything okay? What do you mean? A sound was made there, like... That was, uh... Okay. Just making sure. Yes. Everything is... Everything is good. Everything's functional. So, I think, guys, we could probably close it down at this. Sweet. Let's uh, let's look at what we're gonna do next time, and I, I hope everybody listening enjoys this. I hope you uh, enjoy our brand of humor. Yeah. If not, uh, well, my apologies. And we're open to suggestions. Open to suggestions. I apologize for nothing. Well, there, yeah, he's, he's over that. He's Never apologize for that first story because that should go down. Yeah. So, thanks everyone for listening. Y'all have a great evening.